The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ms. Amber. Take your Bibles, please, with me tonight. Let's go to the book of Luke in Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22 tonight. We're going to pick up in verse number 39. And we've been taking time to go through the uh, book of Luke here and study uh, the uh, life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as accounted by the physician Luke here uh, through this book. And um, we, of course, understand that Luke, writing underneath, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this first uh, book that we are reading here. He then again would write uh, the uh, book of Acts as well, and uh, just uh, the events of what the Lord has done and what the Lord is continuing to do as well. And so I want you to join with me in verse number 39 tonight in Luke chapter number 22. We're going to read down through verse number 46. We'll pray, ask the Lord to be with us tonight and to guide us uh, as we study, and then we'll jump right into things here tonight. So look at verse number 39 with me, please. And it came out, and he came out and went as uh, he was wont uh, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Verse number 43. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an, in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from, the, from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Our Father, we do come to you tonight. We thank you for just the blessed day that you've given us, all that you've done in our life. Uh, we recount everything that has gone on, the messages and the lessons that have been, been taught, the encouragement from our church family for one another, uh, just the fact of knowing that we were able to uh, lift up our voices in song unto you this morning and tonight, and, and all of the events in between, Lord, we are thankful for that. Now help us as we study your word again tonight. Give me the words to speak as I deliver this message here. Would you please guide us with your spirit in the truth before us, and uh, Lord, would you help us to draw closer to you because of what we've studied in your word tonight. We want to honor and glorify you through everything, and we want to uplift you and exalt you, and that your will be accomplished, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Here in, in this portion of Scripture and the previous portions as well, as we've been studying through the book of Luke, we have seen the last days of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and He is quickly approaching the time where He'll face Calvary's cross and be buried and rise again. But on the Friday before his crucifixion, we would find Jesus in Bethany in the same uh, place where Mary, who was Lazarus' sister, had anointed him with a costly perfume. The next day, we would find Jesus keeping the Sabbath with his friends in a, in a very traditional fashion. But on that Sunday... He would ride triumphantly into Jerusalem uh, with the cries of Hosanna and hallelujahs and praises before him. 
On Monday, Jesus would be found cleansing the temple of the money changers. And then the next day, of course, was filled with controversy as Jesus would personally confront the religious leader. He would defend his claims of being the Messiah. And it was also on this day that he would give what we know as the Olivet Discourse that we discussed a couple weeks ago as well. It would be preparations for the Passover to be made that week and a feast to be celebrated in the upper room, which we've studied. And during this celebration, Jesus would take the time and kind of help institute what we know as the Lord's table, the Lord's supper that we participate in even still to this day. And after the Passover meal, Jesus would arrive with his disciples uh, and go to the Gethsemane where Jesus would ultimately be arrested by the temple guards, be betrayed by Judas. Uh, that night, he'd be tried by the religious leaders. And uh, on that next morning, he would have a third trial to be held before the Sanhedrin in the early morning hours. He'd be found guilty by those religious leaders. But then as he stood before Pilate, he would be found innocent. Of course, at around nine that morning or so, Jesus would be taken to Golgotha to be uh, crucified. By three o'clock that afternoon, he would cry out, it is finished. And before that Sabbath of the high day was, uh, began at sunset, Jesus had already died and would be taken off that cross, laid into Joseph's borrowed tomb. And of course, we know that Jesus' body would lie there until Sunday morning. The stone there before the tomb, and Jesus then, of course, would be risen from the dead. And uh, that final week of Christ's earthly ministry before his death and resurrection, we said it, all, it began with cries of Hosanna, but that week ended with cries of crucify him. My how the time had changed things. And my how the, the, the winds had changed, if you may, so much, and but that night before his death, we find Jesus here in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, spending a night in prayer to his heavenly Father. And let's consider this time in the garden here tonight as we look at these por this portion of Scripture in Luke 22. I want you to notice with me, number one, here tonight in that night of prayer, notice the custom of his prayer. Luke 22, verses 39 and 40 says, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that this prayer specifically took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it appeared to be a special place of prayer for our Lord. Here's how Matthew put it, Matthew 26, verses 36 through 38. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrow, exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. My friends, we find that Jesus had a purposeful time that he went here. There was a reason behind why he went to this garden, why he went to the Mount of Olives, why he would go to his Father in prayer. And I just want to encourage you tonight, if we're ever going to be uh, the type of people of prayer like we ought to be, it's going to be because we purposefully do it. It's going to be because we schedule it. And unless we plan it, unless we prepare for it, unless we probably have a place that is set aside or a place where we're going to go pray at the least, it probably is not going to happen. 
Look at our Lord's um, uh, example here as in this place, the, the custom of his prayer. It was a preferred place as we find there in verse number 39. The Bible specifically says at the first part of the verse, it says, and he came out and went as he was wont. Now, Luke's account says that Jesus goes to the garden to pray. The other gospels record that he went to the garden of Gethsemane specifically. But Luke's passage here says, as he was wont. That phrase means that Jesus often went to this place. It was a custom of his to go to this place. It wasn't just a rare occasion. It was just not by the uh, just a happenstance that it took place here that night. This was something that Jesus did on a regular basis. We, if we, we've already seen in Luke chapter 21, in verse number 37. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. And at night, he went out and abode where? In the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. So this was not the first time he had been there. It probably wasn't only the second time that he had been there. That phrase, as he was wont, tells us that it was a regular thing, that he often went to this place. And so this was a preferred place for the Lord to go and to pray unto his Father. Now, the Bible teaches about going into our prayer closet and closing the door behind us and bringing our requests and petitions to the Lord. The thought behind this is just simply this. There ought to be a time and there ought to be a place that is kind of our custom that we would go to the Lord in prayer. Well, I know we probably make the, our custom to pray before we uh, partake in a meal, and we make it our custom to open up services with prayer and so on, uh, but is there a time or is there a place that it's just kind of our go-to when we, it's time to go to the Lord? I'm thankful we don't have to be in a particular place. We don't have to go to a confessional booth to pray. We don't have to go to the church house to pray. We can pray while we're driving down the road. Just keep your eyes open, please. But we can pray anywhere we are at, but it's always good to have a custom, a, a, something that is regular, something that is a habit that helps keep us focused on what is the meaning of it and why we are praying in the first place. Not only was this a preferred place, but look what verse 40 says. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now, as he comes to this place and brings his prayers to the Lord, we find that when we, we come to the Lord in prayer, it really can be a peaceful place. And he prays that he encourages them to pray that they enter not into temptation. Now, temptation is the opposite of peaceful, it seems like, right? But the Lord encourages them to pray that they enter not into that place. Of course, the Garden of Gethsemane would have been a place where Jesus could have found uh, peace before he's going to face the ultimate test, the ultimate trial, that suffering that was awaiting him. But my friends, peace is not merely found in a beautiful place. But peace is found in fellowship with our Lord. Peace is found in being able to be with our, our, our God. In the midst of craziness, in the midst of trials, Jesus knew exactly what was coming around the corner. He knew that in just a few short hours, if the, at the very most, that Judas was coming with the temple guards. And he was going to be arrested. And he'd be beaten. And he'd be scourged. But even in that, he could find peace because he was going to have fellowship with his heavenly father. Now, listen, verse number 40, Jesus said to his disciples to do this. He said, when he was at this place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. 
Now we find that the, this peaceful place of prayer is found to those who are observant. Because Jesus brought his disciples with him to pray in the garden. And Mark records it this way in verse number, or chapter 14 and verse number 38. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. He asked them to watch with him that night. To be on guard. To recognize that Satan has a desire to destroy our lives. To, to use the trials and the tribulations that we might face to wreck our lives and to cause great uh, pain and discomfort. But this peaceful place comes to the observant, but also to the focus, because notice what he says also in verse number four, that ye enter not into temptation. That word temptation, meaning uh, an attempt or a trial or a proving. And upon his arrival at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is exhorting and encouraging uh, his disciples to pray that they not enter into that time, that they not enter into that trial, not enter into that attempt to get them off course. That was a very real danger since Satan wanted to sift them like wheat. He said, Peter, I have prayed for you because the devil desires to sift you as wheat. And he specifically asks the disciples to pray with him and for him. Notice, number one, the custom of his prayer, but number two, notice the commitment of his prayer. Look at verse number 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Bible says there in verse number 41, he was withdrawn. That word withdrawn means to draw off, to tear away. He separated himself from his disciples at that time. Luke specifically says it was about a stone's throw away from them. If you may, it was a couple of yards at least probably. And he, he put some distance between uh, he and his disciples. And Luke records that Jesus kneels, which stresses, I believe, Christ's humility before his heavenly father as well. It's a, and it's unlike the common practice that was known of standing in the temple in prayer. And he kneeled and knelt in humility, uh, a sign of God, whatever your plan is for me, whatever your desire is, I am yielding myself to that. But verse number 42 gives us his request. And notice what the re request is. It's saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This request was a personal request. We find Jesus asking the, the, the Father, God, to be able to remove this temptation, to remove this uh, trial that was just around the corner. And this is an example of the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, praying unto his heavenly Father. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5 says, For there is one God and one meteor between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We've seen how Christ prayed for Peter. We find Christ praying here. And we have the, uh, the promise that Christ even still prays for the believer today, making intercession as well. But it wasn't only per, uh, personal, it was also a, pur a purposeful prayer as well. Notice what he says there in um, uh, verse number 42. Remove this cup from me, meaning to carry past to lead past. Jesus asked God to take the cup from him. 
In the Old Testament, a cup often would be associated with the pouring out or the linking of that of wrath. And the cup that Jesus is referring to is the cup that is filled with the wrath of God that would be poured out upon his body as he died and took upon himself the sins of the entire world. Every past sin, every present sin at that time, and every future sin that you and I have and will commit as well. We find in Isaiah 51, verse number 17, it says, Awake! Awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which hast drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken uh, the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. We find he was requesting, Lord, if it be your will, help, uh, take it away from me. We see his humanity on display, but we also know he was 100% God at the same time. And notice not only his request, but his, re- his relinquishment here in verse number 42 where he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, Jesus relinquished his own will for the fathers. He was willing to lay aside his own will to be able to accomplish the will of his father. What was that will? That he would be able to bring salvation to the entire world. Mark chapter 14, verses 34 through 36 says, And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. First John chapter 5 and verse number 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Jesus knew that his father would hear him. But he also knew that his, his answer would be according to the father's will. And what an example that is for us, knowing that he's going to hear our request, but we need to be willing to accept what the Lord has planned for us. He says, not my will, but thine. That word will is meaning what one wishes or what one has determined to be done. Psalm 40 and verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. That ought to be our desire. That ought to be our focus, to do God's will. We've been discussing that on Sunday mornings already. That let's, let's relinquish our will in what God has planned for us and what God has planned for our church. Let us take on instead the Lord's will and accomplish it. John chapter 4, verse number 34 says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John chapter 6 and verse number 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. My friends, if you don't think for a moment that if God the Father had a will for his son Jesus Christ, that he doesn't also have a will for you and I today as well. See, Jesus willingly drank of that bitter cup of God's wrath to become our atonement. He was willing to go through the pain. He was willing to experience the agony so that you and I might be able to be made free. First John chapter 2 and verse number 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And notice lastly tonight, number three, notice also the cost of his prayer. Verses 43 through 46 says, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, and in agony he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
And when he rose up from, the, from prayer, he was come to his disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. He saith unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The price of our Savior's midnight prayer was costly. So costly that the Bible tells us that an angel even came and helped strengthen him during this time. Interestingly enough, Luke is the only gospel to, be, to actually include this detail. But that word strengthening there is a word that means to grow strong or to receive strength. One has said a man, uh, as man, he needs the assistance of an angel to support his body, worn down by fatigue and suffering. Psalm 91 verses 11 through 12 says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now consider the cost to be able to be willing to say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. There was an emotional cost that was attached to this. Because look at verse number 44. And being in agony, he prayed the more earnest Agony means to struggle for victory, um, like a, a gymnastics uh, exercise or wrestling to wrestle with, to agonize over. And upon completing his prayer, Jesus came under great emotional duress. He became very sorrowful, the Bible says, because he knew what was lying await for him before him. The cross was coming. Mark chapter 14 and verse number 34, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. See, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane because of what took place years before in the garden of Eden. In the garden of Eden, man succumbed to the temptations of Satan, and he took of that forbidden fruit and sin entered into this world. And because of what happened in that garden, Jesus was now in this garden preparing to accomplish a means of salvation for every man, woman, boy, and child, a girl. Psalm 69, verse number 14 says, Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Isn't it comforting to know that our Savior knows the sorrows we experience? This, 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 this story here of Jesus in the garden praying, being in agony, being emotion, in emotional duress, it tells us exactly that we have a Savior that knows what we go through. And he gives us an example of how we ought to respond in those trying times. He gives us an example of what our go-to means of coping should be. We try to cope with our struggles and the trials of life in so many different ways. Men and women, they, they seek for different avenues to just get through what they are going through. But we find Jesus gives us the example of how we ought to do that. We ought to come unto our Father in prayer. And we know that we can do that, and we know that He hears because our Savior has been there also. Sometimes the heart hurts, and we see verses, but we do not necessarily have all the answers Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain favor and find grace to help in the time of need. But not only was the cost of his prayer an emotional cost, 
But consider the fact of what would come from Jesus saying, Lord, your will done in my life. Because just a few moments later, Judas would arrive with some soldiers. They would take him into custody. That would begin a process of beating and scourging and trials and mockery, ultimately leading to his death. My friends, this prayer, the cost of this prayer was also a physical cost. See, Jesus knew this, and even in the midst of his prayer, verse number 44 says, and uh, his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Great drops meaning large, thick drops, clotted, uh, clotted blood, if you may. And Clark's commentary on the Bible puts it this way. Concerning the blood that Jesus was sweating, Dr. Mead from uh, Galleon writes this. Uh, Cases sometimes happen in which, though uh, through mental pressures, the pores may be so dilated that the blood may issue from them so that there may be bloody sweat. See, we often try to escape our burdens. We try to find ways to where we don't have to deal with them and get away from them. But Jesus didn't try to escape them. Jesus endured the burdens for us. Now, this physical cost that he was going to experience was going to be a pain, uh, going to be experiencing pain all the way through his death. He, was, he felt pain in the fact that he would be rejected because Jesus was rejected of men He was ultimately separated from his heavenly father. He suffered immensely at the hands of the very men that he had come to save. Isaiah 53.3 says this, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 45 says, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all, all, over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Mark chapter 15, verses 34 through 37. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by. When they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth for Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave unto him to to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. He experienced what he experienced because the men who said, Hosanna, when he came into the city now said, Crucify him. And he was rejected in that way. But we even see it in his, in his crying out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God himself turned his back on his own son as he was covered in the sins of all humanity. It was a rejecting pain. It was also a repulsive pain. See, my friends, salvation for you and I might be free, but it costs our Savior greatly. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was already scourged or whipped 39 times, and now Jesus is going to be taken to Calvary. He's going to experience the the great pain of that cross and and, uh, see Truman Davis in the Expositor's Bible Commentary put it this way. A Roman soldier would drive a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through his wrist and deep into the wound. With both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each. 
As he pushes himself upward to avoid stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. Exhaled. He, the victim, fights to raise himself up in order to get even one small breath. And this is what Christ went through. If you were there to see it taking place, it would be a repulsive thing to imagine. It would be a a, a repulsive thing to, to witness. A man so badly beaten, he wasn't even recognizable. And now going through the suffering and the pain that he's experiencing. But my friends, the physical the, uh, the physical cost of this prayer to say, God, your will, whatever you want for me, it brought great pain. It brought the rejecting pain. It, brought, it brought, brought a repulsive pain. But my friends, it was ultimately a redemptive pain because he did every single thing he did for you and for me because Jesus is the son of God. His sacrifice on that cross was exactly the payment that was needed so that you and I might be able to have eternal life. See, my friends, we can go through our life and we can try our best to clean up our act. We can say, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and maybe everything will be better tomorrow. I'm going to do my best and and get my act together and then I'll come to Christ. My friends, we can't do anything enough to be able to clean up our act and be worthy of standing before God. You can take the, the strongest of cleaners that you have underneath your cupboard that you use to be able to wash your, uh, your, your, your bathtub or, or wash your toilets, and you can try to work that out on your life as well, my friends. It ain't going to do any good at all because, my friends, the only thing that's worthy, the only thing that is costly enough to be able to pay for the sins that you and I have committed, it was the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Oswald Chambers said this, the atonement is a propitiation whereby God, through the death of Jesus, makes unholy man holy. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 46. Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? To bring redemption to our life, to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. The weight of the cross was far greater for Jesus and for our Heavenly Father than we can probably ever comprehend, than we could even really imagine. Yet we find Christ in this hour of torment, purposefully taking the time to go and bow humbly before His Father, asking the Lord to comfort him, asking the Father to strengthen him. He sends an angel to strengthen him, physically speaking. But he ultimately says, Lord, whatever your will is for me, I'm willing to accomplish it. I don't know what trial we might go through. I don't know what pain we might suffer. I don't know what thing we might experience. And there's nothing wrong with saying, God, will you uh, relieve me from this thing? But in the end, our prayer has to be, God, whatever you want for me, whatever your will might be for me. He has something to work in our life, even through the pain. 
And as Christians, we must learn to voluntarily bend our will to our Father's will. We've got to be willing to say, God, whatever you want for me. Because as a true disciple of Christ, we have to learn to watch and pray so that we too might be able to resist temptation and not be caught sleeping as Jesus found the disciples. In the garden that night, Christ came unto his heavenly Father. And he said, God, I know you've got a plan, and I know you've got a will. We see this prayer wasn't just some random thing he decided to do. In fact, it was a custom of his to pray. Is that our custom tonight? Is it a thing that we regularly come before our Father? In fact, we're actually instructed that we ought to be praying without ceasing. That means that we constantly have the tap open. I know we might not have to do it often around here, but up north, uh, when it gets really, really cold... You, at night, you might crack the, uh, the faucet and let it drip, drip, drip. Why? So there's a little bit of movement through those pipes with that water so it doesn't freeze and the, the pipe doesn't bust. Listen, that pr- praying without ceasing is, is like having that, that faucet, that, that the knob turned to on, even if it's just a little bit, but constantly having that flow, having that connection with the Lord. That means as we go throughout our day, Lord, what do you think about this decision? Lord, what would you, how would you have me to respond to this email? How would you have me to respond to this scenario and so on? And being constantly in that open communication with our Lord. Is that our custom? Is that how we go out throughout our life? But notice his com- we've seen his commitment to prayer as well. That even though he invited his inner three, if you wanted to put it that way, right? Peter, James, and John were with him. He said, hey, I, well, guys, I want you to sit here. I, I need your help. I, want you, I need you to pray with me, pray for me. Pray that you enter not into to, to, to temptation. And as he separates himself and does the work that he's called them to do, when he returns, where does he find them doing? Sleeping. See, even though others might not be at the same place we are or be as committed as we are, we ought to always have that commitment for ourselves to go to our Lord and be in prayer as well. But notice this tonight, and know this tonight, that when we pray seeking our Father's will, there's going to be a cost to it at times. It's going to cost us our will. We all have a, a, a will. We all have a want. We all have a way. If, if I could make it work my way, this is, we all have that some, in some form or fashion. And at the very least, a prayer for God's will is going to cost us our own will. But God's ways are higher than ours, and His thoughts are are higher than our thoughts, right? And so what what we need to understand tonight is this, that when we give up our will for His, we actually come out better in the end. Sometimes when we say, God, your will, it's going to cost us some comfort, Sometimes when we, call, we say, God, we want you, I want your will, it's going uh, to cost us uh, uh, the, the known for some unknown at times as well. But my friends, we see this example of our Savior in the garden, and we ought to follow his example. And we ought to be willing and, 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 and uh, purposefully yield ourselves, humbly say, Lord, what is your will? for my life. Could I invite you to stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved, and I know that heaven's my home. 
If I were to die tonight, I would spend eternity with my Savior. Could I rejoice with you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony to that? Hands all across the auditorium. Praise God for that. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight who would just be honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved, and I'm not sure that heaven is my home. Would you allow me the opportunity to just pray for you tonight? Would you slip your hand up and write back down if that's you? I'm not sure that I'm saved. Then one last question. Who here would say, Pastor, as we've considered the example of our Savior tonight, would you please pray with me that my response to the day, my daily life would be that of going to my Father in prayer, that it would be my custom as well of having those lines of communication open with my Heavenly Father? Pastor, would you pray with me that I would be committed to, pray, uh, to having a prayer life that is seeking what God would have for me? Pastor, would you help me? Would you pray that the Lord would help me to be able to, to endure the cost of praying for God's will? Knowing that sometimes while it might seem crazy, it might seem scary, that in the end when God's will is accomplished, you're always better off for it. Who would say, Pastor, in some way through the message tonight, the Lord spoke to my heart um, about something that I need to give over to Him. Pastor, would you pray with me that I'd yield and surrender that to him tonight? Could I pray with you? Would you slip your hand up and right back down? Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. When I'm finished praying, the piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord spoke into your heart, I want to invite you to come. We find our Savior went off a little ways and humbly kneeled before his heavenly Father. And if you're able, maybe tonight you ought to just humble yourself before the Lord and come to the altar. Maybe right there in your seat, you just humbly lift up your heart unto the Lord. And say, Lord, your will, not mine, be done. Our Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the example of our Savior that gives us uh, an a example to follow that we might be able to, uh, to respond to the circumstances and the situations of life in a like manner. Lord, have your will in, the, in your way in this, in this invitation time. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.